Hey, the, the last announcement most of you have heard about what's going on in Israel. Most of you have uh, seen the news. I was at an event yesterday with a bunch of people, and, and somebody there said they hadn't seen the news. They don't watch the news. Most of you know that Hamas, the, uh, the foreign kind of military there, the kind of ad hoc military, had a radical attack on the nation of Israel with civilians and women and children. Over 600 Israelis and 400 Palestinians. I might get that number wrong. 600 Palestinians and 400 Israelis are dead. A thousand people in just the last day and a half. And it's a big deal. I have friends over in Israel right now, both friends that live in Israel, they're there all the time. Also, Rob Verdine from Calvary Chapel Corvallis and Daniel Fox from Riverview Christian Fellowship, they're over in Israel right now with 50 people on a tour, on an October tour. And they're in the Sea of Galilee, which is the northern region, and their next trip is to go down to the, the southern region. That's not going to happen for them, and we're praying for their safety and for their peace, not just for them, but that they would be ministers to the people around them. Israel's hurting right now. I'm going to read to you out of Psalm 120. This is what it says. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, and thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That's King David about his hometown, the city of David. And so we just prayed for our city, for our church we're building. But would you with me and would you continually pray for the peace of Jerusalem? It's so big, I can't untangle it for you. I don't know the politics behind it. But I know what the Bible says. Not to defend Israel and all of her decision-making politically or militarily. That's not what I'm saying. But the Bible has called us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God has a plan for Israel. He's not done with Israel. He will save Israel the same way he saved you, through opening your eyes, softening your heart, and regenerating your soul through repentance, through confession of Jesus as Lord. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who saved you and saved me, who came not just for Jews, but for Gentiles like me and most likely like you. And here we are 2,000 plus years later, from the time that Jesus was born and Jesus died. And if you ask anybody, ask me, I should say, it's, just, it's been a long time. We, we should be called home by now, but here we are. And you who know prophecy and you know the things of the world, the Bible says in the book of Zechariah that in the end days, right before Jesus comes back, that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling, that no one will know what to do with her. It'll be this problem in all of the nations. It's such a small little country, so small, Surrounded by Muslim neighbors all around. They're the only Jewish people there. So small. And yet the Bible declares, oh yeah, right before the end of the world, no one's going to know what to do. And it's going to trigger the war of all wars. And I've been studying these things for years, decades now. And there's been hot spots and skirmishes and things that come up on the radar. Jesus used an interesting illustration for his soon return. He said, it's going to be like a woman who's pregnant. At that point, all the guys are like, what do you say? You know, what now? A woman, who, a woman get, who's pregnant, as she gets closer to delivery date, 
It's obvious there are signs of her pregnancy. Okay, until then, you never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Ever. You know what I'm saying? You just, ever. You know, but, then, but when she's like, you know, 15 months overdue, you know, then you can ask. It's okay then. And she begins to have contractions. And she begins to, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, false alarm. Braxton Hicks, just a contraction, just a contraction. But we all know that means things are getting close. And when things like this happen and things like have happened, they're contractions of what the Lord has said will happen one day. And again, my heart goes out. We have a, a trip planned to Israel in, in May of 2024. This, of course, puts that in, in jeopardy of sorts. We don't know what's going to happen. Israel can't just sit back and let their civilians be executed in the streets by M16s. They have to do something which will inevitably escalate the situation. It's just going to happen. So would you carry that in your heart? Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we ask now, God, that you would be honored in all the things happening here on earth, that, Lord, you would save many people alive. War and tragedy, Lord, earthquakes, pestilences, diseases. Lord, you said all these things would be happening right before your return. And so here we are now in real time. Life's not been easy for any of us, really. Some of us have served in other wars and done things difficult. And so we understand. And right now we pray, Lord, for the nation of Israel and her neighboring cities, Lord, countries. We pray for peace. We pray for peace, Lord, for Benjamin Netanyahu, Lord, and the leaders there, the ones in charge, Lord, we pray for peace. Lord, I pray for Rob Verdine and Daniel Fox as they lead this group of 50 travelers, Lord, from Oregon, Corvallis and Coos Bay, Lord, just bless them. Minister to them, Lord. May they be strengthened, Lord. May they be enriched. We ask for your help and your wisdom and guidance, Lord. We don't know always what to do, Lord. Rarely do we, and if we do, we give you the credit for the wisdom given. So, Lord, would you use this, Lord, to soften our hearts towards you. May we not be blind to the times and the seasons and the signs. Lord, we don't know how much longer we have, and so we pray that you'd minister to us, Lord. Light a fire under us. You're never going to let us go. Never. We sang it, Lord, with all of our hearts. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We pray for your perfect will to be done in our lives as well. Would you bless us now as we study this Old Testament passage of Scripture out of the book of Judges? Lord, as we look at Jephthah is now gone and these other judges come, and now we're going to see, Lord, the beginning of Samson, that great deliverer of Israel, Lord, that great guy that had a great big problem. And as we study his life for the next several weeks, Lord, may we be, Lord, changed, edified, convicted, equipped, Lord, and delivered from our own problems. We love you so much, Jesus. Minister to us now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles. Continue to pray for Israel, would you, for me? The more I think about it, the more people I've reached out to there, the, the more it just is on my heart to continue to walk with them, to bear that with them. And what a better time than to study again out of the book of Judges, a 3,500-year-old story of the nation of Israel under occupation, if you would, and under oppression from the Philistines and from the Ammonites and from all kinds of other people. And while we're not under oppression, you and me today, from the Philistines or the Ammonites, you and I have a, a, a person, we have an adversary who wants to take us down every single day, doesn't he? 
And God wants to deliver you, and God wants to lead me, and God wants to fight for us. And so let's read his word. Let's study to show ourselves approved. And we're going to pull some principles out of this portion of scripture and apply it to our life as well. But here's the deal. We just finished the story of Jephthah. And Jephthah got picked on right after he won with the Ammonites. Remember, the Ephraimites came over, and they said, what's the big idea, Jephthah? How come you didn't call us before you went to battle? And how come you didn't include us in the victory? And they were critical, not of him getting the victory, but of his strategy in moving forward. And listen, they used their tongues as accusations and swords to cut up poor old Jephthah, who just lost his daughter and was walking in difficulty. And remember that great story. They fought back the Ephraimites, and then they grabbed a couple of them and said, hey, are you an Ephraimite or an Israelite? He said, I'm an Israelite. We'll say Shibboleth. Uh, shoot, I can't say it, you know. Shit, and they, they couldn't say Shibboleth, they said Sibboleth. And so they would kill them. And I said this last week, you gotta be careful what you say because you're gonna one day have to eat your words. Have you figured this out? I've been growing in a lot of things over the last couple of years in my life. God's always just calling me on stuff and moving me forward. One of which that the Lord's calling me on a lot of is my tongue, my lips, my mouth, and my words. Because it's kind of easy to discern the things outside of our body, the big things that are kind of questionable, the things we should probably repent of and get a hold of. But we're so quick to just say silly things, are we not? We're so quick to talk about other people and use words. The Bible says of your words, I think this is really important, listen. The Bible says of our words, there's the power of life and death. There is no neutral area, no gray area. You're either building people up through your words, or, or you're tearing them down in death through your banter or through the things coming out of your mouth. So, so much is this evidenced in the New Testament that when the Holy Spirit was given, listen, the first thing the Holy Spirit anointed with the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit was their lips. The very first thing the Holy Spirit touched was their tongues. We actually call it biblically that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, some people are given the gift of tongues. They actually speak in a heavenly language to God. Not everybody does. A couple people do. That's what the Bible says. But listen, if you're a believer, I believe that the Lord has filled you with his Holy Spirit and he's given all of us the gift of tongues. That is the gift to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. To grab that little tongue before it gets out your fence. That you, God gave us a white picket fence to keep that tongue in. Y'all got one of those? You see the white? Some of you guys have a yellow picket fence. That's okay, but you know what I'm saying? And God gave us that to keep the tongue at bay at times. And I don't know what you're growing in. I'm growing in a lot of areas of my life. But sometimes I'll talk to somebody. I'll say a few things. And as I leave, I'm like, I didn't feel right. I don't think we should have said, I don't think we should have talked about that person. Man, you feel convicted. I love when the Holy Spirit convicts me because it shows that he loves me. He's disciplining me. And may we find ourselves growing. Wouldn't that be radical if we decided to be fire starters in people's lives of good things? builders up of people, people that are stoking the flames, not starting fires of death and division. Well, the Ephraimites, they couldn't say Shibboleth. They were trying to divide Jephthah. They got killed. Let me just study now. Let's finish chapter 12. I want you guys to see this. There's some interesting things here. I'm going to try and make some comments and maybe upset some people and then move on quickly. Now we're going to see three other successive judges that literally do nothing with their lives. Let's go ahead and study these guys out. Look at verse 8, at least that we know of. It says, after him, that's Jephthah, if Zan of Bethlehem judged Israel. Well, he had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage. So he's got 60 kiddos. And then he brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere. Where's elsewhere? I got questions. For his sons, and he judged Israel seven years. Well, then Ibsan died, and he was buried at Bethlehem. 
So now after Jephthah, we got this guy. He rules Israel for a couple years. We don't know anything about him except his story. He pulled out his wallet, want to see my kids? And he showed us his 30 kids and his 30 daughters. And then he went and got 30 other daughters. We have no idea. We can speculate all kinds of things. Not sure what this guy was doing. I'll make a comment about him and the second to the last judge in a minute about parenting. Just kind of some thoughts for you to chew on. But look at the next judge. Verse 12, and Elon, the Zebulonite. After him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel, and he judged Israel 10 years. Verse 12, what did he do? It doesn't say. Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in Ajalon in the country of Zebulon. Stop right there, eyes up here. After Ibzan comes Elon. Don't you guys think Elon Musk is the craziest person in the world? Elon Musk. Isn't that guy crazy? He comes to the 11 a.m. service. I don't know why, but you guys should come to that service. And um, I'm just kidding. Elon Musk. Did you know he's the richest man in the entire universe? $228 billion. How many guys would just settle for $228 million? Anybody settle for that? Like, I don't need a whole billion, you know? Just let me just, I don't know if you guys understand the difference between billion and million. $228 billion. I'll help you understand, because 228 million would be enough to finish the project and take a three-day vacation. That'd just be perfect, so if you're out there, we don't need a billion, just 228 million. Anyways, did you know a million seconds long is 12 days? 12 days, if I have to wait a million seconds, it's 12 days. How about a billion seconds? Just a billion, just add one more zero, it's not that hard, is it one more zero or three? I can't tell, I was homeschooled. But anyways, add something. I think it's three zeros. Anyways, you add, go from a million to a billion. It's now not 12 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. 31 years. That's exponentially bigger. So when someone says they have a billion or 12 billion or 50 billion or 109 billion, like Jeff Bezos, or 228 Elon, man, this guy's crazy. He started the company Tesla, and he's on the payroll there. He's the CEO of Tesla. Guess how much he gets paid annually from his salary at Tesla? Do you guys know how much he gets paid? One dollar. After taxes. One dollar, one dollar. No, I'm just kidding, before taxes. One dollar. He said, I don't need the money because I have $228 billion. Man, he took, five years ago, he took one of his Tesla Roadsters and he launched it into space. Do you guys know that? And one of his cars is in space orbiting the, the, the things right now. It's going like 1,400, 14,000 miles an hour. Why would you do that? Because you have $228 billion. And you would have SpaceX and you would launch some stuff. We could take that dirt and launch that dirt up into space if we had that kind of money. Anyways, I digress. Elon didn't do anything in our story here. And I'm not sure what our other Elon is doing either. Guys, check this out. Look at verse 13. Back on track. Back on track. After him, Abdon. And I just wonder if Abdon had some really screaming abs. I'm not sure. Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrothenite, judged Israel. And he had 40 sons, 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. And he judged Israel eight years. And then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Paranathite, he died and was buried in Pyrathon, in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. This guy had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, and they all had Teslas. They all had donkeys, man. These guys are all rich. Now, let me just say a few thoughts. I'm just going to put these out there, okay? These are three judges that are listed. They're of the three judges. We're now going to begin the story of the 12th and final judge of the book of Judges. 12 judges to lead Israel that will then go from the 12 tribes of Israel to the 12 disciples until the 12 is a big number in Bible study. And there's 12 judges, the last one being Samson, but these last three, Ibzan and Elon and Abdon, they really didn't do anything that we know of. And I could pick them apart if I wanted to. We do know one thing. They were real proud of their kids, though. 
their kids were mentioned and the way they took care of their kids. Now, I'm going to say something. I just want you guys to chew on it. I think we should just kind of put this out there. With every truth, okay, we're on the truth. This is how it, it should be. Principles don't change, but there are two ditches, one of excess and one of neglect, where we see the truth, but we could actually neglect that truth and not do what it says, or we could exceed in that truth and do too much of what it says. These guys cared about their kids, and I think we should care about our kids too, amen? Amen. I think we should care about our kids. That's the truth. We should care about our kids. We should raise them up in the way they should go. We're going to see Manoah, which is Samson's dad, uh, Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, not named. We're going to see them care greatly about their son and try their best to raise him up. We should stay on the road of caring for our kids. Not everyone grew up that way here this morning. Some of you guys grew up in an environment where you weren't cared for. Maybe your mom or dad just didn't get the memo. They weren't all there. It was a different era. You weren't very important. You grew up, maybe it was even just in your mind that this is how you felt in that environment. We all understand what it's like to be overlooked and to be underappreciated, and that's not okay. Maybe you're like me, and you actually remember your childhood so much. You're like, I want to make sure my kids never experience that, and my kids avoid that at all costs. So I'm going to make adjustments as a parent and care for my kids, okay? We want to stay out of the ditch of not caring for our kids, but then there's another ditch where we can be too excessive in the way that we care for our kids. And I've seen this, and maybe just chew on this a little bit. There's a, there's a susceptibility, fake word, there's a, there's a proclivity to finding ourselves getting in the ditch of maybe making our kids think that the world revolves around them. Have you seen this temptation where every weekend is events and soccer and tournaments and recitals and everything's about the kid? And what this can do if you're not careful in this kind of excessive viewpoint of caring for our kids is it can be unintentionally damaging to your marriage because your marriage only revolves around your kids and your kids get of age and they move out and you look at wifey and husband and you don't know what to do because you've only lived for the kids. I'm just saying let's make sure we find a way to stay on the road of caring for our kids but not setting them up for failure where they grow up with an entitlement or a selfishness where everything is about them. Sometimes it's good for your kids to suffer a little bit, to miss a tournament, to not get the trophy when, when they didn't win, to go through, like, to have a chore or two, to do a job that's not fun. My mom and dad are sitting right here, and they, they cared for me, but they also made sure that I knew how to work. I remember my dad started making me work when I was two years old, man. It was great, you know? <laughs> Felt like it anyways. And I'm grateful for roofing houses with my dad and cleaning out chicken manure and doing all the things that my dad made me do for $2 an hour. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. And it was awesome, though. And I just want to encourage you guys. These guys, we don't know what they did, but we do know that they were real proud of their kids. And maybe they were also involved in the things of God. I don't know. Maybe they were involved in the things of the, the community. I don't know. And I just want us to make sure that we're raising up our kids to not be so self-focused, but to be biblically minded, minded for others and not just themselves. I, maybe I'm reading into the story here. If you've got any questions, email pastortoby at gmail.com. Ask him. <laughs> He'll answer all your questions for you. So hey, let's move on now and study the life of Manoah and his wife, who's unnamed. That's the parents of Samson. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Oh, no. Have you seen this pattern before? The children of Israel do evil again. They're delivered to their oppressors once again. This is the longest time, though, in the study of Judges, 40 years. It's never been this long. They have had 40 years of peace under Gideon, but they've never been under bondage except for after these three guys led the nation the way they did, and now for 40 years, they're in oppression to the Philistines. Now, why does this happen? 
How many of you guys find yourselves constantly struggling with something? You want to do certain things, but you're unable to. You're trying to avoid other things, but you find yourself falling prey. Let me just tell you why this happens in verse 1 and why we struggle, even all of us today. It's because our hearts are broken. You guys know that? We're broken. The person you're married to, the person you're sitting next to, the kids you're raising, the person that employed you, they're broken. Everybody comes up short. Our hearts are the issue. Someone said it this way, the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. What's going on with the children of Israel right now? As a matter of fact, it's such a heart issue in their brokenness that the Proverbs in chapter four, verse 23, says, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. And if you're like the children of Israel and you're going through cycles of sin, like, yeah, that came up again. Why did that come up again? Why did I find myself going back to that relationship or going back to that habit, going back to that thought process? I was eating right and exercising, and now I find myself drifting into apathy and laziness. I was abstaining from worldly pleasures and lusts. Now I find myself dabbling and struggling again, and I was being real good with my words and not talking and being dramatic, and now I'm just gossiping all over. What happens? The Bible says to guard your heart. For out of it flow the issues of life. And really, it's a slow process, isn't it? How many of you guys have an anatomical heart in your body right now? Raise your hand. You guys have a heart? Anybody have a heart? Okay, not everyone. Wow. <laughs> Some of your spouses raise their hand like, oh, put your hand down. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all have a heart, right? You know? And our hearts are important. It might be the most important organ of all the organs we have. Some would you know, argue for the brain, but I don't think we can do, you know. The heart's the most important. And we treat our hearts a lot of different ways. And we can't see our hearts. And sometimes we just expect our hearts to be working great. And we're eating Big Macs and taking in lattes and pumpkin spice, all these things. And our hearts are struggling and growing weaker. And we just need to make sure that we're guarding the things that matter most. One of the reasons why you should guard your heart is because it's the most valuable thing you have. Sometimes I'll make compromises. What I listen to, what I watch, what I say, what I do. Just kind of little compromises. And, and, the, and my heart just kind of gets damaged, not anatomically, but, but spiritually. I'll just make little allowances here or there. Don't do that. And the enemy comes in, he robs us. He says, you can afford just a little bit. It's okay, but your heart is the most important thing you have. Guard it. Most of you lock up your vehicles at night when you shut your doors. You know, you lock your doors. If you don't lock your door at night, just go ahead and text me your address. I'd like to know where you live and I'll see how that's going. But you guard your stuff. But most of us, when we take our trash out and put it on the curb, you know, for the dumpster, we don't guard it at all. It's like, well, oh, you can have it. It's just, we're not guarding because it's not important. Do you guard your heart? It's the most valuable thing you have. Number two reason why you should guard your heart is because it's the most important leadership tool that you have in life. You use tools every single day to make decisions. Wisdom, skills. God made you with certain skills. You have resources. You've got a checkbook. You've got some stuff. You've got tools. The most important tool you have in leading your life and others is your heart. And if your heart gets sick, if your heart gets weird, you're gonna be like the children of Israel who again do evil in the sight of the Lord. It's the most valuable, it's the most important. And here's the third reason, if this, this should get it for you. Why should I guard my heart? Because your heart is constantly under attack. The devil will never leave you alone. He will constantly try and undermine you, take you further, keep you longer, and charge you more every single day. And here we see the children of Israel are caught up in stuff again. Just like our physical hearts need attention, our spiritual hearts, what we do, what we eat, what we don't do. God's word, God's spirit, God's people. 
And I believe verse one, as hard as it is to swallow, it's just kind of a picture of humanity. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse two, though. Let's contrast that, not with a glimpse of humanity, but a glimpse of God's character. It says, now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Oh, they're having a tough time suffering. But in verse three, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Stop right there, eyes up here. Nowhere are we told that the children of Israel collectively, corporately, or even privately cried out for a deliverer. Earlier times, we see that the children of Israel are so oppressed, they finally say, Lord, help! And the Lord raises up a judge. Here, we don't see that. We could imagine, maybe, maybe it's Manoah and his wife. They're out praying, Lord, we need help. I would like to say this, though. Did you know that God wants to help, no matter if you ask for it or not? This is such good news. He is for you, not against you. Sometimes we're struggling and our hearts are broken. We think, oh, the Lord's got to be so disappointed in me, so mad at me. And I've been saying this for a while. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. And he loves you. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up to Manoah's wife. She's out there listening to the Lord. She's seeking the Lord. She's got a spirituality. And the angel of the Lord, by the way, Bible students lean in. This would be a Christophany. This would be an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, who always was and is and will be. Jesus shows up and he says, oh, Mrs. Manoah, wow, you're barren. You have no babies, but check it out. You're going to have a kid. And he begins to speak life into her right in the middle of her barren. Did you know that's what the word of God does for you and for me? It meets us right where we're at, and it tells us who God is and what God's doing. Even as you look around and survey the situation, like I'm pretty sure things are bad right now. Pretty sure things aren't good. We're trying to have a kid. It ain't happening. We're under oppression. Boom, and the Lord shows up and drops the word on her. This is why it's important that we feed on God's word because God's word will set us right. God's word will set us straight. God's word will shine in the darkness. Who shall I be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27, the Lord is my strength. Nothing to fear. Well, the angel of the Lord comes and ministers to her the word, but check this out. He doesn't just tell her that it's gonna be all great and dandy. Verse four, he gives her some directives. Lean into this. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and don't eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite for, to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Stop right there, ice up here. As grateful as I am to God for his word that comes to me in dark seasons, and shines on my path. Did you know that it's also got directives for us that we are supposed to walk in, that we're supposed to obey and listen to it? Don't just be hearers only of the word, but be doers. Because if you're a hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. This is what James said. I find in my own life when I don't want to read the Bible, when I'm just kind of like glancing through or skimming through my devotions, it's because I already have my plan for the day and I don't need any other one, anybody else to tell me what to do. I don't need any other directives. But when I sit there and say, Lord, would you just tell me what to do? This angel of the Lord comes to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a kid. It's going to be great. But here's the deal. You've got to be real careful. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth to God till he dies. A Nazarite literally means set apart for God's work. 
It would be what a man would do. He would take a Nazarite vow at times in his life, usually for three to six months at a time only, where he would, he would grow his hair out, kind of symbolizing outwardly that he was dedicated to the Lord. He'd make sure not to touch any grape juice or grapes, no raisinets, no Welches, no cranberry juice, no wine, none of that stuff, because he didn't want to find himself tempted in that way. And he wouldn't touch any dead animals and become ceremonially unclean. He'd do it for three to six months. This woman, Manoah, is told by this angel, no, no. Your son's going to be a Nazarite from the time that he's conceived. And so you got to also do the next right thing in order to set him up for success. You have to be on point as well. And again, I just want to put a challenge out there for you and me who are Bible readers. Make sure and show up and say, Lord, I need you to tell me some good news for sure. But I also need to tell you to tell me what not to do and where to go because I want my heart to be directed in the right way. Look how she responds. It says, so the woman came and told her husband saying, a man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I didn't ask him where he was from and and he didn't tell me his name. But he just said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for, his, for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Stop right there, eyes up here. I love this gal. So fired up, so spiritual, just seeking the Lord. Has this conversation with the angel. Doesn't ask where he came from. Doesn't ask his name. Doesn't matter because the Lord's speaking to her. She goes right to her husband, Manoah. She's like, dude, I read, I got, I heard this. And maybe her husband's like, what was his name? Uh, yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. Where's this guy from? Uh, you know, I, honestly, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And she has this childlike faith. She heard what she heard. Did she hear what she heard? She heard it and she believed it because God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Do you guys have any questions about the Bible? Anybody got any questions about the Bible? Okay. Me and Stephen here? Yeah. Ryan, thank you. We'll get together tomorrow, later. I got some questions. I don't have it all figured out. But what I do know is enough to get me going. What I do know is enough to direct me in the right steps. And here, Miss Manoah rises up and says, okay, that's good enough. Let's go. And she's got questions. And if you've got questions, there's good. You're in good company. We all have questions. But there is enough revealed to us at this point to know exactly what the Lord wants for us. As a matter of fact, I find myself kind of drifting into what Manoah is about to do. His wife just told him what the word of the Lord said. He's got some questions, though. He wants some confirmation. Let's go ahead and give him an A-plus right here. Look at verse 8. It says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do to, for the child who will be born to us. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Man, this couple is a power couple. She's out seeking the Lord, and the Lord shows up. She tells her husband what happened. He has a few questions, but goes right into prayer. Lord, oh, Lord, would you confirm this? Now, his prayer is a little interesting. Lord, would you come again, and would you tell us exactly what to do for this boy and how to raise him right? And I wonder if up in heaven, they're like, what did he say? Didn't we already tell her? I think we told her. He wants us to, oh, he wants confirmation. And it's okay to get confirmation. Sometimes a spouse will have a desire to go here or build that or buy that. And, you know, God works on all of us through our husbands and wives and through our accountability partners and the people around us. And, and it's fun to get confirmation. Me and my wife, Crystal, do this all the time where maybe we're feeling this or feeling that. And God will speak to both of us. He's not the author of confusion. 
And so Manoah here says, well, I'm going to pray about it too. I'm going to make sure that this is the right thing. Hey, Lord, would you just go ahead and uh, tell us exactly what you already told my wife again, but this time tell it to me so I can hear it this time. Uh, amen. You know, not a, not a bad prayer. It says God listened to his voice in verse 9, and he appeared again, but not to Manoah, but to Miss Manoah. She's out there in the field again. Interesting. Which, by the way, some have concluded that women, on a generality, have a proclivity to being a little more spiritual than men, a little more sensitive, a little more tuned in. Uh, now, this is not an abdication for men to let your wives lead in this way, but God, the feminine and masculine qualities are indeed very different and very unique and specific. God made men and women exactly the way they are to minister to him and to receive from him as well. Well, we're seeing this husband and wife kind of do this dance as they're receiving from the Lord. Verse 10, then the woman ran in hate. She told her husband and said to him, hey, look, the man who came to me the other day, he has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? I don't even name her, to this woman. And he said, I am. Bible students, you should circle that interesting phraseology. I am was the same word that God gave to himself when he was talking to Moses, the same title. Manoah said in verse 12, well, now let your words come to pass. Here's my question. What will the boy's rule of life be and, and what will his work be? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. Stop right there, eyes up here. Again, I just want to kind of throw Manoah under the bus just a little bit. What are we going to do with this kid? What are the instructions? He said, I already told her. Why are you looking for a different explanation? And sometimes we do this. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever read the Bible and it's pretty clear about what God says about, you know, relationships and about integrity and character? You're like, well, maybe I'll just get a different translation. You know what I mean? Maybe we'll see what somebody else has to say about it. You know, we start to look around. Maybe I'll get my friend's opinion. It's like, what? It's pretty clear. And sometimes we don't want the, the truth. And Manoah's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, I already told your wife, man. I told you. And listen, anybody out there who wonders what to do next in your life, okay, do what the Bible says. We, oh, but that's going to cost me something. What? Oh, that's going to be hard. I might have to break up with that person, and I might have to move out, and I might have to, do, I might have to quit my job if I have to do what the Bible says. What? Oh, I'm gonna have, that's going to change everything on the way I file taxes next year. And man, that, that could put me in bed. What? Do what the Bible says. Because it's a heart issue, and God wants to bless you. You don't need to advocate for yourself. Anytime we take God's word and say, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to go ahead and do it my way. And, oh, we pay the cost. Manoah needs confirmation. He gets it from the angel of the Lord. Verse 15. Guys, I'm reading fast here because we're going to finish this chapter. We're doing it. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, hey, please let us detain you, and we're going to prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. It's as if this angel of the Lord says, hey, I'm not going to eat your food. Hint, hint. But if you do offer it, offer it to the Lord. Hint, hint. He wants Manoah to know, I'm God. I'm having this meeting with you right now. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what's your name? Verse 17. And where do you come from? What's your name? And, and when you're, oh, let me read verse 17 again. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? And when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, what do, you, what, you, what do you ask? Why do you ask my name, seeing it's wonderful? Stop right there, eyes up here, two thoughts. Manoah wants to know this angel's name. Why? Because he wants to honor him. Listen, not if, but when the miracle happens. 
it's very important you see this. This angel is speaking great things to his wife twice, and now he's confirming it to Manoah, and Manoah takes what God has said. He says, hey, 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 we want to worship you. We want to offer sacrifices and, and, and now eat with you. Additionally, when this happens, I want to honor you rightly. What's your name? He says, why do you ask my name? It's wonderful. In other words, you can't even handle my name. If I really were to show you who I am, you'd melt like Indiana Jones in the last crusade, man. That'd be gross. I can't do it. And yet, I want to highlight that Manoah simply believed him. They hadn't had a baby yet. There was barrenness. There was oppression. I'm constantly having to tell myself that God is going to finish the work he began in me every single day because that's too big sometimes. There's too much stuff going on, too many risks, too many variables. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too long. How did God actually start this miracle? He said, hey, you're going to have a baby. A what now? A baby is going to deliver Israel. A what now? Is there anything more fragile than a baby? Is there anything smaller than a baby? God's like, oh, the Philistines are going to get you, but we're going to throw a baby at them. What? <laughs> hey, Lord, don't you know? I mean, come on. Can't you bring like a rocket ship? Call Elon. Get him involved. There's some principles here that you need to tuck away. God is patient. We're not. When God says, I'm going to begin to deliver Israel, he says, I'm going to do it through a baby. Really? Could you, maybe elephants, something faster, something bigger? A baby? We're going to have to wait a while. This needs to resonate with somebody here today, that you're wondering what's next in your marriage. You're wondering what's next in your singleness. You're wondering what's next in this journey of faith or this journey of health or this journey of suffering. And the Lord says, hey, I got you. You want it done right now. You want it faster. That's not how it works. It's patient. It's slow. I'm growing something in you. But a baby so weak, that's what I do my best work, the Lord would say. When you are weak, my strength is made perfect in you. You don't have enough insight. You don't have enough resources. You have all the cards stacked against you. Perfect. That's perfect. Hold my hand. I promise you I'm for you, not against you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll finish that work. And when you believe these things, you can look at the news, and you can look at your resources, you can look at yourself, and it's all falling apart every single day, amen? But the Lord will never fail. The Lord will never stop. I keep telling myself that every single day. Lord, you brought me this far, didn't you? He didn't bring you this far just to bring you this far. Do the next right thing and trust him. You know what the next right thing is? I'm going to Pastor Ryan come up. He's going to lead us in worship because that's what Manoah does. Check this out. It says, so Manoah, verse 19, he took the young goat with the grain offering, and he offered it upon the rock, and he offered it upon the rock to the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing. While Manoah and his wife looked on, as it happened in the flames, went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar, and when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground, and when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Stop right there, rise up here. Did you guys catch that? They prepared this goat sacrificially, generously, lavishly. They put some grain on it. They light it on fire. This is the way they were instructed to worship God in those days, and they did this for God. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord's watching, and the angel of the Lord jumps into the fire and rocket ships into heaven. That's crazy! And Manoah and Mrs. Manoah drop on their faces, and they realize, ah, it's the Lord. Guys, freak out. This is crazy. And how did it happen? Because they worshiped. Oftentimes we're wanting for the Lord to do something great in our lives. We need the Lord to deliver us, to light things up, to heat things up. We need the Lord to do the next right thing for us. 
And sometimes it's as if the Lord was saying, hey, I've given you my word. I've given you my instruction. I've given you my direction. What are you going to do? And Manoah said, can, can we offer an offering? And the angel said, make sure and offer it to the Lord. Go ahead. I'm not going to eat your food. This is not going down that way. You offer it to the Lord. Do that. And when they offered this worship to the Lord, up on the hill, and that's where I've been a lot. I'm sorry to reference it so much. Sorry if I haven't answered your calls, too. I've been very busy. And every single day, and every single person that comes up here, I, I stop them before they leave. I greet them when I see them, and I say, let's pray. This needs to be a place of worship. We need to consecrate the hill right now. I'm, I'm, you're, you came to visit me on the hill. We're going to work. We need to pray. And the Lord gives us his peace that passes understanding. And the situation you're in right now, the Lord says, hey, are you praying that? Are you praying through that? Are you worshiping through that? Lord, there's a barrenness. Lord, there's an oppression going on. I know. Think I don't know? I'll never let you down. I'll never let you down. What God asks from you, what God asks from me, is that we be worshipers in spirit and in truth. It's easy to worship on Sunday. I'm going to have you guys stand with me. We're going to sing right now. And we're going to have an opportunity to worship the Lord. I didn't finish the chapter. and It happens all the time. But let's just, let's finish the day with worship. I'll be under the screen to pray for you if you need prayer, but this is just between you and him. You worship the Lord. Worship him in your barrenness. Worship him in your oppression. Worship him in your, in your problems. Wouldn't it be radical? You know the promises of God. They just got good news. It was easy for them, Luke. They just got good news. They just got told they're going to have a baby and God's going to begin to deliver Israel. That's good news. Hey, you know what? Nothing changed from them in that minute. Nothing changed at all except God's word. You and I have God's word. It hasn't changed. You changed. I changed. We all changed. It hasn't changed. There's no reason why we can't be worshipers like Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. Father, in Jesus' name, would you forgive us of our sins? Lord, we're all over the place. My heart, Lord, it's just, it's all messed up. Yet, yet, Lord, you never change. You're constantly for us, constantly good. And as we close with this song, Lord, just a song of worship, May you, Lord, do what you did next. You just brought, Lord, fruit, Lord, to Miss Manoah, and you began to deliver the nation of Israel. Would you bring fruit, Lord, to this church this morning, and would you begin to deliver us in our battles? Make us men and women, Lord, who worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for all you've done. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, just, I really need a touch from God. I need to be zapped. I need to be turned on. I need to be fired up. Maybe you're like Manoah, who's just out working every day. You're not really tuned into the things of God. You've got questions and you, maybe even doubts. I don't know if those were doubts he had. Maybe they were. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, though, I just need more. If that's you right now, would you just humble yourself and raise up your hand? I'm not looking. But you're just like, yep, Lord, I need more. Just do it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you'd give more of yourself, more of your Holy Spirit, more, Lord, of the gift of tongues. That is to use our words, Lord, for life, not death. More light, Lord more purity, more holiness, Lord, more righteousness. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let's just make it that simple. Raise up your hands, both of them. Say, yes, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need to be filled to be the man or woman you've called me to be. Lord, anoint me and take me right where I'm at. We worship you, Jesus. You can put your hands down and leave them up. It's up to you. We just thank you, God, for all you've done. Do more, we pray. We offer this song to you as we close the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. I'll be over here for prayer if you guys need prayer.